Martin's going to preach now on Colossians, an overview. I just pray for Martin, if you, you. don't mind. Yes, I'm <laughs> delighted. Father God, we thank you for Martin. We thank you for the call on his life that he is here to serve us at Pippin Gyms and in this whole community. Father God, we ask you to bless him tonight as he speaks to us. Father God, we pray that you would take Martin, take all that he's prepared, all those words, all that reading, that you would work through him, that you would speak through him to us. We pray your anointing onto him tonight, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to learn more about Colossians. Amen. 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 So, most of you will have discovered I'm Martin Saunders, I'm the vicar of this place. It's a delight to be here tonight. Um, We start tonight looking at Colossians then, um, and um, in the coming months we're going to take a part chapter at a time to get ourselves through the detail of Colossians, but my hope, my task tonight is to get us to a point of having a flavour of Colossians. So um, we're going to ask ourselves some questions such as context. Where do we find it in the Bible? What, as it were, epoch of Bible history are we in? Background, things like where's Colossi? Um, or, and, and who wrote it, from where, when, uh, who were the intended readers. Uh, content, what's going on in the letter, sort of overview of that as well. Um, uh, we're actually going to read the whole letter tonight as well. Um, and then think a little bit about why we bother to write this letter. Uh, why did anyone bother to write the letter, let's put it that way. Um, what did the author need to say, uh, and what was he writing against? Because writers write things because... Yes, Steve looks at his watch, and I, oh, don't worry, it won't take forever. Um, and then we need to think a little bit about, in terms of the overview, how's that going to help us live our lives uh, in the coming week? Because um, that's kind of helpful. Um, now, we're going to need to see whether I can do this from here or not. It does. Hooray! Okay. So, um, let's have a think about where the um, town is. Um, Colossi is there. Um, Colossians is written... It's a letter... From Paul, if you um, have um, uh, Paul and sorry, we find the text. Oh, Got to put that over there. Otherwise, 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 otherwise. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians—they're the ones that go in alphabetical by by the vowel. Did you know that? G-A-E-T-E-C-O. Sorry. So, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Um, Two, God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So, this is a letter from Paul, the apostle. You know, Paul that used to be Saul. Paul who was Saul and then saw the light on the Damascus Road and... um, uh, then couldn't, uh, then fasted and prayed for three days, and uh, that amazing story uh, that comes in uh, Acts eight, nine. Oh dear, I'll have to look it up again in a bit. Um, but that, that same Paul, but Paul who wasn't actually one of those who walked with Jesus as an apostle, whilst Jesus was on was was walking and talking and teaching on earth. But Paul who became an apostle 
a bit later on. So he's kind of that oddity of apostles. But he's the one who wrote quite a lot of the New Testament, um, and so we live with this. Um, so it's a letter to a church, um, uh, a group of people who are in that town there, Colossae. So um, this is to give you a bit of, a bit of context here. Um, Jerusalem's down there, so that's where Jesus was down there, in that bit of the world. Um, and the kind of, and if you read um, Acts, uh, there was quite a lot of migration of people, and Paul did missionary journeys kind of around here quite a lot, back and forth and over there and back down here. Um, and... Um, Uh, for a modern context you can quite begin to see why people want to try and cross the Mediterranean to escape Africa to get to Europe Um, but we're going to focus in a little bit on that small area there to get us a little bit of a better view of what's going on and what other towns are nearby so here it comes, there it is it's a bit of a different, bit of a fuzzy one Um, but Colossae is there um, these big red lines are the big roads, like the motorways of Rome. Um, so Colossi is a bit off the beaten track, um, but it's quite close to a place called Laodicea, which gets to mention later on. And um, uh, there we go. So this is, this is clearly New Testament. This is after Jesus has been on earth. This is before Revelation um, in terms of the book of Revelation and, and that stuff that looks, still looks forward to times yet to be um, yet to be fulfilled but this is in a period of time written probably AD 50 something 52 to 56 um, is most people's kind of best guess uh, and um, the question of where it was written from we um, only have one hint in that um, Paul at one point in Colossians talks about his chains so he's in prison trouble is, Paul was a naughty boy. No, Paul was got into prison quite a lot of times, got into trouble, uh, and the question is, well, where? Um, a not unreasonable suggestion is that when Paul was in prison in Ephesus, um, he wrote this because he was in the area. Uh, because um, there's talk about um, a chap called Epaphrodites, who who we think was the one who brought the first message, the first hint of the gospel of the good news of Jesus to his own hometown of Colossae. Um, and um, it, it makes sense of some of the hints about um, of Timothy and of, of people coming to visit, um, or, or, the, or even the person who was going to take the letter from Paul to this town. Um, and he'd written one um, at the end of Colossians. It says something about... Um, uh, this is Colossians 4.16. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, these guys here, the church in, that meets there, uh, and that you in turn read the letter from them. So there's a sense in which, uh, you know, there was a pair of letters going to there, and potentially it was to Paul in Ephesus. Ephesus. But frankly, does it matter? No. Because doesn't hugely matter where Paul was when he wrote it, except we know he's in prison. Um, and so he couldn't go and visit. Um, lots of hot air can be said about, about all that. So, um, what's happening in the letter? Well, um, oh, you can just about see my one to four down the side. Um, that's the kind of overview of the letter. Let me... Um, 
read to you two paragraphs that give you that overview um, in much better words than I can offer you. This is a um, chap called N.T. Wright. Tom Wright was once Bishop of Durham and is now something in Aberdeen. Can't remember now what, but anyway, he's a good guy. Here we go. Uh, page, shape of the letter, here we go. Colossians, like many books, and for that matter, like most symphonies, plays or poems, is not the sort of work that can be simply split up into successive units, like the separate inches marked on a ruler. A simple analysis of contents is therefore not sufficient to show what the book is really about. It's more like a flower growing from a small bud to a large bud and gradually opening up to reveal layer upon layer the petals that had all along been hidden inside. We may briefly observe this unfolding process as follows. After the initial greeting comes Paul's great prayer of thanksgiving for the church at Colossae. Hence the thanksgiving bit of 2a. Uh, which turns into an intercession on their behalf. He prays basically that the young church may learn how to thank God for what he has done for them in Christ. I'll read that bit again to you. He prays that the church may learn how to thank God for what he, that is God, has done for them in Christ. Ah, uh, clearly there's an echo for us, a parallel for us, that we also need to learn to thank God for what he's done for us in Christ. Now out of this, uh, there grows Paul's initial statement of his purpose in writing, which is um, 2C down there. Um, which is that the Christian maturity he has sought in prayer on behalf of the people of Colossae, or of the church in Colossae, he is now working to produce by writing to them. In other words, he's prayed for them that they would become mature, now he's writing to them to help them to become mature. So he's not just a man of prayer, he's a man of action and words. He would go and do it himself, but he's, he's stuck in prison, isn't he? So with this, the bud is opened fully, revealing the great central section of the letter, which itself unfolds in the same way. Paul begins with a pregnant pair of verses, verses 2, verse 6 and 7, appeal for Christian unity, whose, whose basic command is, walk in Christ. He then attacks certain teachings that would prevent the Colossians from doing this in the full, mature way he longs for them to see. That's, um, let no one exclude you. Central to his appeal is the fact that Christians have already been buried and raised with Christ. And this idea unfolds in turn to give more detailed instructions. The double-edged appeal of... Uh, verse 2, verse 20, and 3, verse 1. Since you died with Christ, since you have been raised with Christ, is finally amplified into the two paragraphs of chapters 3, verse 5 to 11, and chapter 3, verse 12 to 17, concluding with the command to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, which is more or less the sum and substance of the whole appeal. So let me read that again. The command to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, through the Lord Jesus that is, which is more or less the sum and substance of the whole appeal. But Paul's picture of the life of the New Age is not one of generalisations. He applies it in detail to two areas of life. First of all, the home, and then to the world. 
that's uh, end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. The body of the letter thus concludes where it began with a picture of God at work through the gospel in the world. In the final section, Paul conveys greetings from fellow workers who are with him and to other churches in the neighbourhood. Uh, This closing section serves as a reminder that we are dealing not simply with abstract truth, but a flesh and blood letter, which must be handled as such if it is to yield its secrets. One of the oddities of this letter is that some of the others kind of go, Hey guys, here's some theory, now let's put it into practice. This is a bit more jumbled up. Um, as you've heard from that. Um, so we, we need to kind of weave together and think together about the whole thing, but also about the detail. Um, and it's quite hard, um, particularly if you go and miss a few weeks. So don't go missing, please, uh, if you want to keep the thread of things. Um, so that's what's going on in the letter. Well, according to Tom Wright... I'm going to pause for a minute, and Nikki's going to read to us the letter, but from the message version. Now, if you're new to the message, it's a translation by one chap, a chap called Eugene Peterson, um, who was a pastor of a church at the time. So quite how he managed to find the time to translate the whole of the New Testament um, and the Psalms, and now most of the Old Testament as well, I don't know, but anyway. Um, and it's worth just noticing that... Where many of our Bibles translate effectively word for word from Greek, the original language, um, Eugene Peterson goes for an idea and translates the idea and then another idea. So um, it's great for getting the big picture, but when you dive into the detail, you kind of go, that doesn't match up against that word and that word and that word because it doesn't okay it's an idea for an idea translation rather than a word for word translation okay so here's Nikki hold Colossians so I'm going to read this to you as if I mean it is a letter I'm going to read it like a letter I'm not going to say chapter one chapter two it's got no verses or anything in it and one of the reasons uh, I prayed about which version to read and I read the the, uh, message one and the NIV and Ethan's Bible but I thought this would be a really good one so here we go I Paul have been sent on special assignment by Christ as part of God's master plan together with my friend Timothy I greet the Christians and stalwart followers of Christ who live in Colossae may everything good from God our Father be yours Our prayers for you are always spilling over into thanksgivings. We can't quit thanking God, our Father and Jesus, our Messiah for you. We keep getting reports on your steady faith in Christ, our Jesus, and the love you continuously extend to all Christians. The lines of purpose in your lives never grow grow slack, tightly tied as they are to your future in heaven, kept taught by hope. The message is as true among you today as when you first heard it. It doesn't diminish or weaken over time. It's the same all over the world. The message bears fruit and gets larger and stronger, just as it has in you. From the very first day you heard and recognised the truth of what God is doing, you've been hungry for more. It's as vigorous in you now as when you learned it from our friend and close associate, Epaphras. He is one reliable work of the Christ. I could always depend on him. He's the one who told us how thoroughly love had been worked into your lives by the Spirit. 
Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will, and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you will live well for the Master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have enough strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It's strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. God rescued us from the dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the Son he loves so much. The Son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. We look at this Son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this Son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organises and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and, leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. And not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. For every creature under heaven gets the same message. And I, Paul, am the messenger of this message. I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in this jail and not you. There's a lot of suffering to be entered into in this world, the kind of suffering Christ takes on. I welcome the chance to take my share in the church's part of that suffering. When I became a servant in this church, I experienced this suffering as sheer gift, God's way of helping me serve you, laying out the whole truth. This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery, in a nutshell, is just this. Christ is in you. Therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic, 
Christ. No more, no less. That's what I'm working so hard at, day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives me. I want you to realise that I continue to work as hard as I know how for you, and also for the Christians over at Laodicea. Not many of you have met me face to face, but that doesn't make any difference. Know that I am on your side, right alongside you. You're not in this alone. I want you, woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know about God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown that mystery. I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after other so-called mysteries or the secret. I'm a long way off, true. And you may never lay eyes on me, but believe me, I'm on your side, right beside you. I am delighted to hear of the careful and orderly ways you conduct your affairs, and I'm impressed with the solid substance of your faith in Christ. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with whatever you've been given. You've received Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope a microscope or a horoscope to realise the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in. Insiders. Not through some secretive initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already done for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life, and coming up out of it was resurrection, God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant cancelled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. So, don't put up with anything, with anyone pressuring you in details of diet, worship services or holy days. All those things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. Don't tolerate people who try to ruin your life, ordering you to bow and scrape, insisting that you join their obsession with angels and that you seek out visions. 
they're a lot of hot air, that's all they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of life. Christ, who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow through us, he is the head and we are the body. We can grow up healthy in God only as he nourishes us. So then, if with Christ you've put all that pretentious and infantile religion behind you, why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Don't touch this, don't taste that, don't go near this. Do you think these things are here today and gone tomorrow? Do you think they're worth that kind of attention? Such things sound impressive if said in a deep enough voice. They even give the illusion of being pious and humble and ascetic. But they're just another way of showing off, making yourselves look important. So, if you're serious about living the new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust. Doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But now you know better. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom-made by the Creator and with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish, non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilised and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet, strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offence. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions and whatever be done in the name of Master Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. 
Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honour the master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master no end. And parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being Christian doesn't cover up bad work. And masters, treat your servants considerately. Be fair with them. Don't forget for a minute that you too serve a master, God in heaven. Pray diligently. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Don't forget to pray for us. God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ, even while I'm locked up in this jail. Pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. My good friend Tychius will tell you all about me. He's a trusted minister and companion in the service of the master. I've sent him to you so that you would know how things are with us, so he could encourage you in your faith. And I've sent Anisimus with him. Anisimus is one of you and has become such a trusted and dear brother. Together they'll bring you up to date on everything that has been going on here. Aristarchus, who is in jail here with me, sends greetings. Also Mark, cousin of Barnabas. You received a letter regarding him. If he shows up, welcome him. And also Jesus, the one they call Justice. These are the only ones left from the old crowd who have stuck with me in working for God's kingdom. Don't think they haven't been a big help. Epaphras, who is one of you, says hello. What a trooper he's been. He's been tireless in his prayers for you, praying that you'll stand firm, mature and confident in everything God wants you to do. I've watched him closely and can report on how hard he's worked for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, good friend and physician, and Demas both send greetings. Say hello to our friends in Laodicea, also Tim Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After this letter has been read to you, make sure it gets read also in Laodicea and get the letter that went there and have it read to you. Oh, and yes, tell Archippus, do your best in the job you received from the Master. Do your very best. I'm signing off now in my own handwriting. Paul, remember to pray for me in this jail and grace be with you. a good translation isn't it yeah martin's gonna carry on now while i have a drink (laughs) okay thanks nikki it's really helpful um so while it's fresh in your mind i just want you to turn to your neighbor and um tell them one thing that really hit you as you listened to colossians being read go you've got a minute And if you don't know your neighbour, then introduce yourself to start with. Peter, meet Gerald. Gerald, meet Peter. 
Okay, if only one of you have talked, you need to swap over now. Okay, good. Let's just pause there. Um, don't forget you can carry on your conversations later on. So, we've had a look at context in the terms of where's this letter. Um, we've looked a little bit at the background in terms of where is this church. Um, we've read the content. We've, we've had a bit of an overview. But I think we need to, to kind of uh, tackle that question of why did Paul bother to write this letter? Um, because that will help us, I think, a little bit. Um, from piecing together the evidence, it's reasonable, I think, to say that, this, that Paul had not met this group of people, that they'd been evangelised by uh, this chap, Epaphras. Epaphras, yes, that's the one. Um, and the town itself no doubt was a town where there was a mixture of different beliefs amongst the population. Paul's standard methodology was to go first to the synagogue and to preach in the synagogue, so to the Jews, and then when he got kicked out of there to go and preach um, to anybody who would listen to him. We don't know whether Epaphras um, had the same mission... um, methodology but quite possibly he did but we don't know so but but by preaching first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles the non-Jews um, Paul ended up with many in many of the churches that Paul was part of at the beginning with a fairly mixed crowd so I think it's reasonable to think that probably given a mixed population living in um, the town that a cross section of those come to faith and even if they're all from the same background, they will have friends who have different ways of thinking to them. Sounds to me rather like what happens today. You know, some, come, some people come to faith, and we have um, neighbours, we have family, um, we have work colleagues who go, but surely always lead to God. Or some people who go, well, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a shamanist, I'm a, or I'm a consumerist, I'm a materialist, um, and, and have different sort of philosophies as to quite what brings hope, meaning, and purpose in life. So, 
I think it's very reasonable to think that Paul is then writing to encourage this group of people to recognise really what's happened for them, which is that they've come into a living, lively faith in God. And in other teaching we get that God has placed, therefore, his Holy Spirit in them as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And to kind of live a life that doesn't, that isn't about saying we are one of many equally valid ways of thinking about life in general, but actually a life that goes, no, this is the religion, this is the way of thinking, this is the way of having faith that brings us any sense of hope. So, Paul clearly is trying to emphasise how brilliant the gospel is, at the same time trying to um, help them to see how it needs to be, as it were, an exclusive gospel. Can't really do both and. Hence, um, in chapter 2 you get some of the stuff about, you know, um, do not touch, do not uh, handle, do not taste... um, a kind of potential food restriction there. Um, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, you get, you get um, reference to see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. There's a sort of sense there that, that potentially this group of new Christians have at least the risk of others saying to them and drawing them away to other ways of thinking. Now, whether or not there really were others that were forcefully trying to teach that, or whether it was just through one-to-one conversations, nobody will ever know. Or even that Paul was, was, as it were, responding to a theoretical risk rather than a real risk. But again, doesn't hugely matter. What we have is... is a grouping of people who were new to faith that Paul was trying to encourage to be outright for God. All out for God. Um, one way of thinking about this is that um, for many years, churches, church leaders at least, um, have argued toss about what's the right order to think about how people get into, involved in church. Do they belong to the church? Do they then find a belief in Christ and then they start to behave? Or do we actually set out our churches so that we demand a behaviour? You all sit quietly and listen to the vicar. Before anybody has any chance of belonging and then of believing. Or is it that actually people come to faith and then choose to belong to a church? And then they behave. And then they learn about that stuff about, you know, what, is, what does it mean to grow up in Christ? And so over the years people kind of juggle the three and go, well, it's this order that, oh, I can't be bothered to get into that kind of argument because, to my mind, everybody's different. We're all unique. Uh, and we're all kind of... Some people come roaring into faith and then go, well, what's all this about going to church? Others come and sort of sit around churches and suddenly go, what's all this about God? Um, uh, uh, and others kind of have all that Christian moral value stuff and do all the behaving that you might think Christians do, but then later discover faith. 
Um, so there's, there's, you know, it doesn't really matter what order it happens in, but it kind of all happens eventually. Sorry, excuse the hand signals. Um, well, well, how does that relate to here? Well, how that relates to, 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 to the Colossians is that, if you like, they've, they've got to that point of belonging, they're a cohesive group, so hence the letter is to be read to the assembled group after this letter has been read to you. See to it that also it is read in the church of the Laodiceans or the... However, Nikki pronounced it. I don't. I'm not idea which how, how it's supposed to be. Um, to the other church, but church. It's a grouping. It's a recognised grouping. It's not like it's you know a letter to Fred at number one, and when you've finished reading it, Fred pass it down the road to to you know Jean at number twenty six. Um, it's a group gathering. So there is a sense of belonging already, um, and clearly they have a sense of shared faith. But potentially there is a disparity, dis, dis, uh, a variation of different ways of behaving that is happening and hence some are beginning perhaps to be, um, just to quote to chapter 2 verse 8 for a minute, you know, beginning perhaps to be potentially captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elements of spiritual forces, rather than on Christ. And so there's at least some that, that, because they're so new in faith, and without a kind of strong, mature leader there, they're perhaps all, perhaps all a bit at sixes and sevens, all trying to go, oh, what, when, what, how? Okay, so, and, 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 so we're left going, well, what are the alternatives? What are the things they might be dragged into? Um, and over the years, lots of people have gone down different routes, um, I could give you some posh words. Some people suggest that it may be, it's a, it's a kind of a branch of Judaism. If you're going to talk about Sabbath days and um, um, prohibitions, but there again, there are prohibitions around food for, for other groups. Um, Neo-Pythagoreans seem to cross the word of my, my commentary that I read, and I kind of went, huh? not sure about that. Um, the, some people could kind of focus in on, say, chapter 2, verse 18, where it says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility in the worship of angels disqualify you. Um, and at this point, I read a long discourse about how there was a theory that um, there are, are, are seven stages to heaven, each of which is guarded by an angel, and so, you know, there's that kind of potential for people wanting to worship the angels in order to get themselves allowed through the gatekeepers, past the gatekeepers, to, to, to a higher level of heaven. Not sure about that. I think that was made up by somebody on a quiet Friday afternoon after a long lunch. Um, but there are some cross-links with other bits of the Bible. Um, and let me give you one of those before we move on. Um, so Galatians chapter 4, um, verses 3 and 9, um, just helps us to think about what these elemental forces are, um, potentially. Galatians is again written by Paul um, and is... Um, He's written into a very particular situation where they're being um, encouraged 
to be circumcised and therefore return to the law and therefore, as it were, to move um, to back, to, or back or onwards to a Jewish understanding of faith. So um, Galatians 4 verse 3. So, um, Paul writes, so also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Okay, and then verse 9 of that chapter. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces or principles? If you go with the footnote. Um, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So, in the context of Galatians, you could think that Paul is trying to say that the elemental spiritual forces of the world is something about the law. But that's a fairly weak link there. Um, But clearly, whatever it was that they used to put above God, in Galatians, he's fearing that they risk turning back to those things. And I think given it's Paul still, you could think of this as, uh, as Paul worrying that they will put other things above God. Let's put it as simply as that, or other, other ways of thinking. Um, and whether we, how we think of those, those risks, the detail of those risks, is, is something that has, <laughs> you know, hundreds of thousands of words have been, have been written on, um, and yet, almost what that detail is, I don't think hugely matters. The, 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 the concept of saying that actually we belong to Christ, we need to discover and discern and know the fullness of what God has done for us, partly in order to guard ourselves against any diversion from Christian faith. That's the level at which I'm happy to stay with. Um, and, and actually, that's the level of which I think there's a helpful thinking around and an application for us for today. Um, again, Tom Wright talks of two journeys in thinking about applications. Um, a, a historian's journey, so getting back to the original meaning, and then there's a theologian's journey of speaking to a contemporary church. And I think the calling remains according to maturity, to commitment to the God of the Bible rather than a God that we might make up for ourselves and to a commitment to community within the church I think that's really important that this was written to a group of people who were called to digest it together so I pray that as we continue into these weeks from here that we digest, as we digest it together that this would be a really helpful way of strengthening our faith as we recognise again the fullness of all that God has done for us. I've come to an end. Shall we pray? Let's just echo something of Paul's prayer. We'll look at that in more detail next week. Paul says, I always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. 
And Father, I pray that that will be true of us, that we have... is obvious to others and his love is known love for each other Father continue to guide us to challenge us Father we choose We choose to be willing to adjust our thinking to your, the fullness of your amazingly good news for us. Lord, have mercy, we pray. Amen. Friends, back to Nikki. And I think (coughs) in songs. Um, As uh, we were talking, it struck me that even though... Paul was in prison, you wouldn't know it. He had that immense, amazing faith and joy, just joy outpoured. And uh, I don't know, think about it yourself. If you were in prison, and maybe somebody's been in prison, do you think you would act like him? I thought I'd be moaning like mad. (laughs) But um, he was just so full of joy. I'm really touched by that. And it says, um, we read that he was rooted in humility. And I think that's a really good aim for us to have, to be rooted in humility. And amazing that he...